conversations that are, we are having among us, God, how you are, are forming a congregation who loves your word. Oh, God, I pray that even tonight that you would mold and shape your congregation more into your likeness, that you would transfer us from one degree of glory uh, to the next. So, God, we pray that you would take glory in this message. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, when I first looked at this passage, I really the, the thing that kind of jumped out at me was unity. You know, so if I was going to initially title this sermon, it was going to be the unity in the sun. Uh, but really, after looking at it, the, the word maturity kind of really, I think, encapsulates the whole entire passage. Um, and unity is only one aspect of maturity. Uh, so uh, we're going to look at what is a mature church and how we can become a mature church. Uh, when I first got here, uh, my prayer it was that God would give um, men and women in our congregation to our church uh, to grow us into maturity, uh, that we would remove the wrinkles and the blemishes uh, of the things that would, that would dishonor God, that we would become mature, living in the likeness of Christ. Um, and you see this all over the epistles of Paul, right? Uh, the idea of growing up to him who is the head, growing up him who is, is mature. Maturity in the eyes of the scripture is Christ-likeness, and that we are living like Christ. So this first point, the mature church is ready for sound doctrine. The mature church is ready for sound doctrine. Look at verse 1. It says, but I... Brothers, if you go back to the end of chapter 2, he talks last week, we looked at this idea of spiritual uh, knowledge and fleshly knowledge. And he kind of rebuked the congregation saying, I didn't necessarily rebuke, but we basically was saying that uh, you can only know spiritual things through spiritual eyes. That the natural man, the, the, the person of the flesh, can't understand the things of the spirit. And Paul says, kind of carries on that same point in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, but I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people, meaning that I could not share to you that which the Spirit has revealed to me. I could not teach you the depths of the Holy Scriptures. It says, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, it's interesting here because he talks of them as infants in Christ. So these people, the, the, the church at Corinth, were believers. They had crossed over from death to life. They believed in the Son. They believed that Jesus Christ died and rose again. They were in Christ. They were Christians. That's why chapter 1 says that they shared the fellowship of the Son. Uh, they had all these things that, uh, that Christ offers to all uh, his people. And yet, they're in the flesh. They're young in their faith. They don't fully understand what the, the life of Christ looks like. So, remember Corinth. Corinth is uh, a city kind of much like uh, a metropol uh, metropolitan city today. You look at a Chicago or even a Charlotte, a, a New York City, a Washington, D.C., a Baltimore, a Seattle, a, a city that is kind of loves being on the cutting edge, but also has a lot of promiscuity, right? A lot of sexual morality, a lot of false teaching, a lot of uh, New Age spiritual wisdom. That's kind of prevalent in Corinth as it is, is in today. Now remember how hard it is for someone who's lived a life of sexual immorality, for example, to come into the, 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 the church. When you've lived a life a certain way, you need to reorder your morality. You need to reorder how you, how you think, where you go, and how, how you live your life. And I think that the more and more our society continues to get darker in, in the way its practices, we are going to be bringing people in who don't understand what life like, what, it like, what life is like as a mature Christian. That's going to look more and more foreign. 
so even now, um, if you talk to the average non-Christian couple who is 25 or 26, most of them are probably living with their girlfriend or boyfriend. Most of them are engaging in sexual uh, immorality. And that's just normal, right? So if you told them, yeah, I'm saving myself for marriage, for example, I believe that, that sexual intimacy should be for a man and a woman, they would look at you like you're crazy, right? Because our world is living in the flesh, not in the spirit. So Paul is addressing the, the church at Corinth and saying, you're still infants in Christ. You're living as a, a, as a new baby, right? You can't take the, the chunks of solid food from the word. You, you just need milk. You barely understand what it means to follow Christ. You were not ready, says verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. He's rebuking the church. Now, Paul probably spent 18 months in Corinth. He spent a good number of time there. Remember that 2 Corinthians is actually his, or 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter he wrote there, right? So 2 Corinthians is the second, 1 Corinthians is the second, 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. He's trying to exhort them to live as Christ, but they're not ready. Right? They're living in the flesh. They're not living in the spirit. They're not living unto maturity in, in Christ. Now, those of you who are here are, are the mature among us. Uh, we've, we, you've walked with Christ. You're here on Sunday night, right, which is the, the faithful crowd. We need to help grow those in our church who are infants in Christ. We need to spend time with them. We need to encourage them. We need to pray for them. We need to pray that they would, they would, they would set their minds not on the things of the flesh, which lead to death, but they would set their, their minds on the spirit, which is life and peace. Right? We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And, and, and most of you are doing that right now. Right? The time that you're spending people uh, teaching Sunday school classes, discipling folks, um, that we need that more and more. And when we see a young uh, believer, whether they are 80 years old or whether they are 16 years old, if we see a young believer who's walking as an infant in Christ, we need to, to challenge and come alongside them so that they could take solid foods. Uh, those of you who ha- have ever had children, you know that you don't start out giving them solid foods. You start with milk and milk, then you go to chew, you know, the, uh, the baby's the soft food, and then eventually uh, you kind of build up to regular food. Right? And that first day, they have regular food. is this, this great... A uh, wonderful day in the life of a child. It's also a, a scary day uh, for a parent as well. You'll understand that after things happen. Um, anyway, um, but the goal here is that we would not live in, um, in the flesh, but we live in the spirit. That's the goal, right? So a mature church is ready for sound doctrine, for the sound teaching of the word. Now, sound doctrine is not just knowledge. It's not just that we know the the, the Christology and the hypostatic union, that God is, is, is fully man and fully God. It's not that we just know the definition of the church or we can explain the, 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 the Trinity uh, or, or, or um, we understand what propitiation means. I mean, those things are important and true and right. That's sound doctrine. But sound doctrine is always connected to sound living. And that's the, that's the, the challenge that Paul is giving towards the church is not so much as their head knowledge, but as their life knowledge. The, the, the knowledge of the Word of God has not formed and shaped their hearts to live differently. So what is the, the, the marker here? Uh, look at verse 3. It says, You are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So he says, You are not ready for sound teaching. 
You are not ready for the meat of God's word because you're living as people of the flesh. And how does that define? You're living in jealousy and strife. You care more about your image, your way, your opinions, and your preferences than you do about the unity of, of, of the church of Jesus Christ. Right? You are stirring up dissension. You're, you're slandering. You're, you're, you're back-talking rather than working for, for peace. And because you're that way, you're not ready to, to be mature in Christ. You're living as a flesh. Because that's the way the flesh lives. That's the way the world lives. The world is full of dissension. God's people are full of unity. And if God's people are not living in the Spirit, how can we attract people by our, our, our witness? How can we bring people to Christ by, by our proclamation if our, if our, our, our doctrine um, is, um, does not match up with our life? This is all over the Scriptures. And, and Paul is saying, listen, I wanted to give you the good stuff, but you're not ready. I can't talk to you about anything deeper because I have to still deal with the jealousy and the strife in your church. And I, I, I preached this a, a couple weeks ago, but listen, we have to continue to fight for the unity of the church. A mature church is ready for sound doctrine in teaching and in life. Um, you know, if you, only, if you always have to focus on um, things breaking, you're never able to, to really make some serious progress. Uh, so if you are, um, maybe as, as a way of illustration, if you are, are building something, right, and you're, 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 you want to, to build this um, device that, let's say you want to build a catapult. I don't know why you want to build a catapult. That's the first thing that came to my head, right? <laughs> let's say you want to build this giant catapult. And the, the end goal of the catapult, that it would, it would take giant boulders to go into a, a, a castle so that you can enter in, right? But instead of, uh, of using, uh, when you build this catapult, you're using a part that's, that's rusted, that doesn't work well, right? So instead of actually working on, on the actual function of the catapult, you're constantly working on trying to fix this one part that is rusted. In many ways, it's kind of how the church works. We're trying to build a, a, a beautiful temple, a building built of living stones that would live under Christ and would reach the world for Christ. But instead of reaching the world for Christ, we're constantly working on, about this, this rusted part, this strife and this bitterness and this complaining, Right? And how many times, every time we look at the, the strife, this bitterness, and complaining, we take our eyes off the mission to focus on the squeaky wheel, the, the rusted parts, right? And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, we can't even get to what God wants you to do because we have to focus on your jealousy and your strife. God's people, the mature church, is ready for sound doctrine in teaching and in life. He says, are you behaving only in a human way? If we are only behaving in a human way, it could mean that we're in sin, that we're infants in Christ, or it could mean that you don't have Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans. If you have your mind set on the things of the flesh, you cannot please God. So you may not have Christ if you're living in jealousy and strife. Read Proverbs 6. There's six things the Lord hates. The last one is the one who stirs up strife among the brethren, the one who is for dissension. That is a human way of, of, of thinking. The human way cares more about self than they do about God and others. So if you have children, this is one thing that you have to talk to about your kids a lot. You know, I have this conversation regularly with my children. You know, you care more about uh, when you're arguing about what your brother has or what your sister has more than you, you're living in strife and jealousy. And that is the way of the flesh and not the way of the spirit. Right? We have that opportunity to do all the time. Number one, the mature church is ready for sound doctrine. Verse four, we see, we see this kind of fleshed out. For one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow 
Apollos, are you not being merely human? That's interesting. Merely human. Beloved, we are human, aren't we? (laughs) But we don't want to live as mere humans. Because we have been born again by the Spirit of God. Our hearts have been transformed to love Christ. So if we're only living as mere humans and we're not living in, in the Spirit of Christ, we may not have Christ. Number two, a mature church is ready for God's sovereign designs. Is ready for God's sovereign designs. Verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Now remember, this is Paul speaking, and Paul is trying to tell the church, I am nothing. You guys are arguing about who is more important. I'm telling you that I'm nothing. Apollos is nothing. Servants, who we are, through whom you believe, as the Lord assigned to each. You know, God, in his kindness, allows us uh, to serve him. But some people, he gives different gifts. He gives different abilities, right? Um, I feel sorry for Adam, because Adam has to hear me sing every Sunday. (laughs) I stand behind him, and I belt out my off-key, loud tone, joyfully exclaiming the praises of our Savior, and sometimes he has to concentrate so hard just to sing. Uh, I, might have to, I might have to go down front. If I do, it's because I'm trying to be gracious to Adam. But, you know, God has given me an ability to preach and teach. He's not given me ability to sing. Now, you know me, I love to sing, but that's not my ability. Now, Adam can, can sing, you know. Um, my mom always says that her favorite song that we've ever sung in this church was when Adam sang, Mary, Did You Know?, one Christmas, right? She says, I still cry when I think about that song. You know, everyone has different gifts. And that's what he's saying here. Listen, Apollos has gifts. Paul has gifts. And we see this all the time, right? Paul, pe- people could say, I like Apollos because he's more, he's more um, you know, uh, charismatic in his preaching. He's more engaging. I just really love the way Apollos teaches. And some people say, well, yeah, I really prefer Paul because he's more doctrinally sound and he's witty in terms of, of how, how, he, how he writes and he's a great expositor. And we should say, praise God for the Apollos in the world. Praise God for the, for the Pauls in this world. Praise God for all the different types of people that God uses to bring his glory. Right? That's Paul's point here. Right? This is God's design. God sovereignly gifts each person person differently. God has, has, has built me a certain way. God has built you a certain way. And don't um, uh, be angry the way God made you, but rejoice in it. There's no reason for us to be jealous if somebody else has success. You know, there's other churches here in Rock Hill that have uh, services that are a lot fuller on Sunday night. Praise God for those churches. Praise God for you that you're here tonight, hearing God's word and being molded by the word of, of Christ. Paul goes on to kind of talk about how this works. Verse 6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So just think about this, this idea. The, the, whole, the, whole, the whole goal here is thinking that um, God is the one who grows his church. Right? It is God who's doing this. Some plant, put the seed in, and some water that seed and watch it grow. So when someone comes to Christ, and someone is, is, is won to Christ by a conversation that we have, do we think that we are the ones who brought that, that fruit to bear? Well, no. 
if we were the ones that God allowed to harvest it, praise God. But you know what? There was someone who planted that seed a long time ago. And there's been mothers and grandmothers who've been watering that seed for, for generations. You know, sometimes as, as a pastor, a word that I preach will bring people to Christ. And I'm not going to walk away saying, look at how great a preacher I am to bring someone to the Lord. No. God brought the, the increase. Some plant, some water. Only God brings the increase. I think this is really helpful in just humbling us. It is humbling us, realizing the main character of our lives, the main character of this church, is God himself. God is the author and the perfecter of our, our faith. And again, you see that, that in verse 8, each will receive his wages according to his labor. We all have labor, right? One plants and one waters, but only God brings, brings the increase. And this is just part of God's sovereign, sovereignty. God orchestrates that. If you read through the, the New Testament, you just see that time and time again where God is moving around different pieces at different times, right? We even saw that today in, in Nahum, right? God took a, a, an Assyrian empire and used a wicked Assyrian empire to rebuke and, and discipline a wayward Israel. God destroyed Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, in 722 B.C. with the Assyrian empire, and the, 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 the ten tribe, northern tribes of Israel were wiped off the, the map, never to be heard from again, right? They're called the, lo the lost ten tribes of Israel. And yet God kept a remnant, right? He kept Judah of the, two, uh, of, of the southern, southern kingdom. And yet what did God do 100 years later? 110 years later, 6, 612 B.C., he took Babylon and destroyed the Assyrian Empire completely off the face of the map. That is God's doing, Right? God is in charge of this world. Just think about the great empires of our day. Rome, or of the world, Rome, no longer. Greece, no longer. The Assyrian Empire, no longer. The English, um, you know, the English, uh, Great Britain ran the whole world. They only got one little place now. Portugal, Spanish Armada, once defeated. So I, I think that you know, we think that America is going to last forever. It's just not. America is not the greatest nation in the world, right? The, the greatest nation that the world has ever known is the kingdom, uh, the nation that God has created through his son. That's it. It's the only nation that's going to last. Now, America, we pray it's going to be around for a long, a, long, a long time, but we don't think that the rampant sexual immorality of our nation, the, 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 um, the trust in our military prowess is not going to bring us to a fall. Right? And if we tie our faith to the success of America, I think that we are running a fool's errand. Right? I don't think that's what the Bible wants. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. The one who plants, the one who waters are nothing, but the only one God gives the increase. And verse 9, it says, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Right? God is building your field. God is bringing people into the harvest. God is bringing stones. Uh, these are great images of, of the people of God, a field, uh, a building. Uh, they're, they're, they're expansive and they're different parts. But they're all being built up together. And we have the opportunity to be those fellow workers. So I guess part of the question is, is are you a fellow worker? Are you planting and are you watering? You know, we know God can bring the increase, but are you fellow, a planting? Um, I would still encourage, you know, we had our class on discipleship um, in January. We had four weeks of, of class we talked about a book about pouring our lives into others and helping people grow in Christ. 
And I had, uh, as an assignment, I had people write a page of reflection and tell me about their, um, what they learned from the class. I have been so encouraged the last month just reading these different responses. This is what God has taught me. And every single one is, God taught me I need to be a worker in his field. Maybe not using that language, but that's what they're saying. I, I, I know that God is calling me a disciple. Whether it's my own children or whether it's uh, someone in the church or a, a, a young person at my, my work, someone in our, in our own church, we're all fellow workers. But it is God's field. It is God's building. So when we're pouring our lives into others, we know that we are just allowed to labor alongside the Lord. But it is God who brings growth. Isn't that amazing? Right? When we teach, God is working through us to bring people into what? Maturity. Into to, to Christ-likeness through our labor. So we continue to do what? We pour our lives out for others so that Christ could be, be formed in the lives of others. And this is just how God has, has orchestrated his sovereignty. Just stop for a moment and think, how did God save you? Who planted the seed in your life? Who watered that seed? Who brought it to bear? Well, whatever happened in your life, that was God's sovereign design. God placed you in a certain family. Uh, God puts you, certain people involved in your life. He brought you to certain churches, right? How does anyone be saved? Anyone is saved is a miracle. It is an act of God. That is why we no longer live in the flesh, but we live in the spirit, right? The spirit has formed us, and we want to live unto him. This is all God's, God's doing. And we know that even from eternity past, the plan of salvation has been uh, planned before the foundation of the world began. We looked at this, talked about this a little last week. So number one, mature church is ready for sound doctrine. Two, it is ready to see God's sovereign designs. Three, the mature church is, is ready for severe disclosure. Severe disclosure. Look at verse 10. 10 through 15, y'all, has, has scared me for most of my ministry. It's one of those passages that you read that should terrify you and encourage you at the same time. How does that work? We shall find out. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will, it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, not but only as through the fire. Uh, you know uh, how um, painful it is to labor for something that was only going to be uh, destroyed. You know, uh, going on a, a, the beach and making a beautiful sandcastle. You know, you know, we make a kid's sandcastle. We kind of like those things to be destroyed because they don't always look that great. But can you imagine spending an entire uh, week building this wonderful and this beautiful like sandcastle? only to have it washed away in one high tide. Well, that's kind of like what, what Paul is saying here. If you are laboring outside of the Spirit, outside of the Word of God, what you build may be destroyed. It may not last. Your work is going to be tested. 
It's going to be tested. They're going to be built with gold and silver. When it's tested by the fire, it's going to be purified. It's going to, it's going to survive. Or is it going to be like wood, hay, and stubble that when it, the fire of God's uh, judgment comes upon it, it burns up? So this is the thing that we, we think about um, our congregation. We may look and say, man, we are um, low numbers on a Sunday night, right? And we are judging our life based on what we see right here. But maybe right here is actually going to last more than a crowded uh, auditorium where Christ isn't preached. The main goal of our life is not to, to have success in this world, but is have, it's to have our work last in the end. It's what is done unto Christ that will last. So we have to be careful how we build, how you go to work every day as a, as a, as a mother, uh, as, as a father, as a worker, right? Are you laboring unto Christ? The Bible says very clearly that when you work, you work unto the Lord, not to man. You're serving the Lord Christ. So if you have a bitter attitude when you go into work, you're not serving unto Christ. And your work day in and day out is going to be judged by the Lord, by the heat of his, of his judgment. We want our work to last. We want to labor for, for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we want that at the end of our days, we want what we have labored for to last. Now, it's, just, it's scary because we could be laboring and it all could be destroyed. But the opposite is also true, isn't it? That when we labor in Christ, it will last. It will survive. For what? For eternity. What we are laboring for now will, could, could last for eternity. And this is one of the great precious gifts is that we want to labor for the hearts and souls of men. I asked this question this morning, when was the last time you published peace? When was the last time you proclaimed the good news? That is how we plant, and that is how we water, and that is how we build upon the foundation that has been laid in Jesus Christ. That is how we know that our work is going to be, going to be survived in the last day, is if we are sharing the gospel of the Lord Christ. If we are not preaching Christ, but thousands come, if we're not preaching Christ and, and people like us at work, if we're not preaching Christ and our kids uh, grow up to, to be successful in the business world, that work will be burned in the end. Without Christ, it will come to nothing. A mature church is ready for that severe disclosing, meaning that when we are tested by the fire, it will be proven true. And that is a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. Number four, the mature church is ready for the Spirit's dwelling is ready for the spiritual. In verse 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, this passage kind of goes on in 1 Corinthians 6. He talks about individually that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is why we want to care for our bodies. And he kind of makes this statement that... um, if, if the Spirit dwells in us individually, we shouldn't commit sexual morality because Christ is there with us. <coughs> Here, I don't think that he's referring to us individually, but us corporately, right? He says, do you not know that you are God's temple? You, the, the, the church at Corinth. Remember back in verse 1 that this is written to the church of God that is in Corinth. The church here. This is why that he goes back that when you're living in the flesh, strife and jealousy, you're living in a merely human way. And it says, if you are destroying God's temple, that means if you are those who are bringing dissension and slander into God's church, the Bible says is that God will destroy you because you are destroying God's temple. God hates disunity. God hates slander, right? And for too long, churches have just allowed it to happen. 
right? Not realizing that that slander and that dissension and that strife that people bring into the congregation of the righteous will end up for their own destruction. That's what the Bible is saying here. You are God's temple, and it is holy. Therefore, you are to be holy because you are God's temple. So as a mature church, we're ready for the Spirit's dwelling. That means that we want the Spirit to, to manifest every area of our life in terms of how we, how we relate to one another. Now remember, we are still human, so we still live in the flesh, right? We still have those moments, but we want to rise above that merely human and live in the Spirit, right? Heeding God's Word, uh, praying uh, earnestly in the Spirit, writing God's Word upon our hearts, uh, pouring ourselves into others. One of the reasons why I strongly encourage you to disciple or to teach God's word to others is because when you're teaching God's word to others, I think that you stay more in line with the word yourself. Because we all can become complacent. But when you are forced to study God's word uh, because you have to teach it, God just keeps you there. Uh, one of the best things that I have the opportunity to do is study God's word every week to preach. It's a wonderful blessing. You know, Nahum really, really rocked me this week uh, in, in preparation. So we are ready for the Spirit's dwelling in every area of our life, a holy place. Lastly, the mature church is ready for sober discernment, sober discernment, which is really where he's going this entire chapter. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. Just stop there. We are easily deceived. We know that Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. If, if, if you just do a quick search in your, in your New Testaments, go to your Bible study software and just do a search on a Bible website that says, do not be deceived. And just look how many times God says in the Bible, do not be deceived. If God has to say it that much, guess what? It is e you're easily deceived. We are all easily deceived. That is why you need friends in your life who can look at you and say, you're deceived. You're blind. Because when we are deceived and blind, we forget that we have Christ. And what is, the, what is this way of being deceived? He defines it in the second half of the verse. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. If anyone is living according to the worldly wisdom, you, you are deceiving yourself, thinking that you're wise living in the ways of this age. Become a fool, meaning go back to chapter 118, that the foolishness of the cross uh, is those who are being saved. We want to have the, the cross as the, the, the antithesis to worldly wisdom because the cross says you can do nothing you can do nothing for yourself to bring salvation. You can do nothing. You are not saved by the righteous things that you have done, but you are saved by God's mercy. It is only by the mercy of God who has, who has saved you. It's that it's the, the Christ has, has suffered and died and rose again, and everyone who believes in, in the work of Christ is saved, not in their own works. The worldly wisdom of our age is your works that save you, right? Hinduism, um, Islam, Mormonism, you name the religion, it's, it's works-based. And at its core, it's about what you do to get to heaven. And the Bible says, no, there's nothing you can do. You need Christ. You need the mercy of Christ. You need to fall upon the mercy of Christ. Become a fool by believing in the cross. Verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So if you just stop right there and think about this as kind of a speaking about individuals here, uh, an individual who thinks themselves wise is wise in this age will end up be caught in their craftiness and be exposed by God. That is the same way we looked at Nahum as at a macro scale, 
right? The Assyrian Empire was living in the wisdom of the world. We're going to expand our borders through brutality, and the more we can expand our borders and, and get more wealth, then we are successful. Who can take us down, right? And they were caught in that, uh, in that wisdom and were utterly destroyed. That's on a macro scale. We see it on an individual scale here where Paul's encouraging. Let no individual person. It's the same thing for true for nations. Verse 21. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. He's just saying, let no one boast in men. Do not boast in your, in your teachers, right? You boast in Christ, because Christ, you are Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Therefore, you belong to God. If you look at um, the end of chapter 1 all the way to the end, beginning of chapter 4, you see that refrain again and again. You see this idea, let no one boast. Let no one boast. Just look at your Bibles. Look at verse 4-7 of uh, 1 Corinthians 4-7. For who sees anything different in you? And this is a great verse to memorize. What, you, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything that you have has been given to you by Christ. So don't boast in others. It is only God who brings the increase. So whatever increase God brings, we rejoice who? In God, right? If God uses you to bring your kids to Christ, you don't boast in your ability to teach your kids. You boast in, in God, right? You boast in God for, 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 for saving your children, right? By his grace and his grace alone. What Paul is doing here, he's undercutting the prideful human heart that brings strife, jealousy, and dissension in a local church. If we are living and thinking that things belong to us, whether it be a tradition, uh, whether it be a, um, a person, if we think that they belong to us and, and when that is not being met, we get angry, uh, well then I think we realize that we're boasting more in the tradi traditions of man, in man, rather than boasting in God. And we don't want to live as merely human. We want to live under Christ, born again by his spirit, right? And if we do that, then we will be a mature church. And not just a mature church that attracts those who are far from God, but that we will be a mature church that is like Christ and pleases our Savior. And we want to please him. Let's work for maturity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you by your grace, uh, that you have caused us to grow in Christ. God, we pray that we, as a congregation here at Park Baptist Church, that we would be mature. We ask that you do this for our good and for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.